Welcome to episode 28 of Beyond the Desk, a podcast of West Dallas Public Library. I'm Sarah, a librarian at West Dallas Public Library, and today Desiree joins me for a discussion of beach reads. We talk about what we think makes for a good beach read and offer a variety of recommendations. We also chat about why we enjoy reimagined stories, whether inspired by Jane Austen novels, fairy tales, or other source material. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Desiree. And today we're going to talk about beach reads. Desiree, I wondered if you wanted to share your definition of a beach read or kind of elements of what makes a good beach read. Sure. Originally, when I first heard the term, I definitely had this kind of chiclet idea of a beach read where definitely something romantic, something light, usually something funny. But as time has gone on, I think more of beach reads as anything that is captivating and comes out around the summer. (laughs) So that could include even nonfiction and thrillers and mysteries are starting to join those beach read lists. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. I like what you hit upon because a couple of the things that I think about in terms of a beach read are that it's light in terms of content, not always, but often they are light reads. In other words, you won't be sitting at the beach crying Mm -hmm. (laughs) or on the plane to your destination crying. Also, I think of them as being light literally. So I like a good paperback when I'm going Mm. traveling so I don't have to carry this burdensome hardcover book. Of course, I also am listening to more books. So light as in an e-reader or an e-audiobook, something that isn't going to weigh you down literally. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always have to be the case, but I tend to like to read books that are set in the summertime, sure. in the summer. Or, you know, another way of looking at it is I don't want to read a book that's set in the dead of winter where there's a snowstorm when I'm either at the beach or I'm outside somewhere in the sunshine. In the summertime, it's kind of nice to read about people who are enjoying the summer as well. Agreed. I guess with that in mind, I wanted to start off by talking about Emily Henry's Book Lovers. Her first adult book was called Beach Read, conveniently. And then her most recent book is called Happy Place. It just came out. I really enjoyed Book Lovers, which I listened to earlier this year when I was traveling. And I thought the audiobook was great. The reader really got the voice of the main character that is focused on Nora, who is described as a cutthroat literary agent who is not a typical heroine in the books that she helps get published. So she represents different authors and she lives in New York City, but she's kind of this typical New York City, hard-edged kind of person. At least that's how she describes herself. She, at the beginning of the story, meets Charlie, who is the surly book editor. And she is meeting him because she wants him to edit one of her client's books. And they just have a really bad first meeting. And there are overt references to Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. So you have that initial meeting where people misunderstand each other, don't really like each other initially, but over time they become more interested in each other. So there's definitely the Elizabeth Bennet 
Mr. Darcy vibe to this. Another element of the book that I enjoyed is that even though Nora thinks she's so hard-edged and everything, she has a lovely relationship with her sister. And her sister asks her to spend some time with her in a small town in North Carolina. And Nora basically will do anything for her sister. And so she and her sister go to North Carolina and Charlie happens to be there. And he's also living in New York, but he is from the small town in North Carolina. And then over the course of the book, they are running into each other all the time and getting to know each other and realizing that their first impressions of each other weren't really accurate. If you like books that are inspired by Pride and Prejudice or you like that kind of story where the love interests don't like each other in the beginning and then gradually come to love each other, I think you'll really like the story. Again, the reader of the audiobook gets the voice. It's definitely funny. I laughed out loud several times and part of it was her delivery. She did a really good job. I'm a sucker for the modern versions of Jane Austen's stories Mm -hmm. so this falls into that a bit. I would say it's more towards the beginning. It's definitely not as close of a adaptation or retelling as some other ones are but I think if you like those you'll like book lovers and some of the other ones that I've enjoyed that are informed by Jane Austen's books are Incense Sense and Sensibility by Sonali Dev. So that one's a riff on Sense and Sensibility. And that one's a little bit more of a romance. I feel like the characters talk a lot about their feelings in that one. And it focuses on a yoga teacher and a politician. And that's just a charming, I think it's a great beach read. Ayesha at Last by Uzma Jalaluddin. That one is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice, and it is in a Muslim Canadian community. And that one is really delightful. We read it for Books and Coffee here a few years ago, and people seem to really like it, and I enjoyed it a lot. And then another one is Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. That one is also a modern version of Pride and Prejudice. It takes place in Ohio, and that one was also really good. Curtis Sittenfeld is very funny, and so I laughed out loud multiple times reading that one. But Romantic Comedy is the most recent one by Curtis Sittenfeld. It follows Sally, who works for the Night Owls, which is basically Saturday Night Live. Sittenfeld is very upfront in her acknowledgments or information about how she worked on the book. She says that she did a lot of research about Saturday Night Live and read a lot of memoirs by different people who were part of Saturday Night Live over the years. And Sally is a writer on The Night Owls. She's not a performer. Mm -hmm. And the first part of the book, it's like a week of making the show, which is really interesting because I think you do get some, I mean, it's obviously fictionalized, but you get some insights into how Saturday Night Live might work. Sally comes up with a sketch about ordinary guys 
who date glamorous women because there have been several men on staff who've ended up meeting singers and actresses who have been the host for the week Mm -hmm. and they end up in relationships and Sally has this idea that it wouldn't happen the other way around that an ordinary woman wouldn't end up with one of these super hot guys who come on the show the actors and musicians and so cue Noah the pop star who is the guest host for that week and she initially they have this brainstorming session um, where they pitch different sketches and she's pitching this sketch about having it go the other way having this celebrity guy be potentially interested in an ordinary woman at first because she doesn't know him she thinks that maybe he's not that smart or not that funny mm-hmm. and he ends up seeking her out because there's a sketch that he has an idea for and he really wants to work on and somebody told him well Sally's the person to work with you on that she'd be really good to help you with that one and in one of the scenes I really liked the scene you get to see how they edit or refine a sketch mm-hmm. and if you like process if you like comedy or writing I think it's really kind of an insider's scene it's really cool to see how somebody would take an idea and then make it better and make it this pretty good sketch for the comedy show. And so over the course of that week and this first section of the book, you actually see that Sally's hypothesis is likely to happen or could happen. You know, she doesn't think that a super hot guy would be interested in someone like her, but they are connecting Mm -hmm. over all kinds of things. Like some of it is the work and humor. They're both funny in different ways, but also they find that they have other things in common and he surprises her. This goes over the course of the first first section and then she kind of blows it because I think she gets a little bit scared and she says something that kind of dismisses him then the next section of the book flashes forward a few years I think it's like five years or something like that and it's during COVID and he ends up I think contacting her by email and then they have all these email exchanges and I really liked this it was like a series of letters like pen pals or like an epistolary novel if you like that sort of thing I think you'll like this it's they're getting to know each other over email they're flirting a little bit but it's also just getting to know each other and so I really enjoyed that section of the book and then after emailing back and forth for I don't know how long it is, like over the course of a few weeks or something like that, they decide to meet in person during COVID. And he invites her to his house. I think it's in Los Angeles. Anyway, I thought this was just a really fun book. And again, it's very funny. Sittenfeld is very funny. And I enjoyed it a lot. And so I think if you're looking for a light, fun read for the summer. This would be a good one. I have read two Curtis Sittenfeld books. One Mm -hmm. was Prep and one, I don't remember the name, but it was about sisters. And it's interesting that you talk about how funny she is because both of those books to me were, not that they were dark, but they're very emotional Mm -hmm. and there were some really heavy themes. So I'm interested to read something a little lighter that she's written because I think she's an amazing writer. I didn't read the book. I think it might be called Sisterland. I think that's right. right. Yes. I haven't read that one, but I did read Prep 
And prep definitely is, you know, it's a coming of age story and there's some serious stuff going on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not as funny as eligible and romantic comedy, but those two I read in the last couple of years and really enjoyed them. She's a very good writer, and I particularly enjoy those two. I mean, I like to prep as well, mm-hmm. but anytime a writer can make you laugh out loud, I think it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely check those out. So these are also love stories, but they are not light. They are very dark. It's known as, I guess, dark romance. I do think they're still fitting for a beach treat because they are paperbacks. <laughs> we have three of them here at West Dallas. They're not too long. They're long enough. I tore through them. I think I read two of them over a weekend, so they were very engaging. But it's the Never After series by Emily McIntyre, and she describes them as reimaginings of fairy tales. So they're not retellings, but they take some elements from these classic tales, and she creates something new with them. And they're all about a villain. And even though they're dark, they are all H-E-A's or happily ever afters. So the villain gets the girl is the theme. The first one I read and the first one she wrote is called Hooked and it's a reimagining of Peter Pan. And so James is one of the main characters and he is based on Captain Hook. His nickname is Hook and you find out why later on. He is kind of a businessman. He owns a bar. I believe it's called the Jolly Roger, and he has one goal in life, and that's to destroy his enemy, Peter Michaels. <laughs> um, and you find out why Peter is his sworn enemy, but Peter's a, a little older than James, and he has a 20-year-old daughter named Wendy. And one evening, Wendy shows up in James' bar, and he sees this as an opportunity to basically get his revenge on Peter. So he decides he's going to seduce Wendy and get close to Peter and then destroy him from the inside out. And Wendy is, she's been very sheltered. Mm-hmm. Growing up, she had a very close relationship with Peter. He called her his little shadow because they did everything together. But as she's become older, he is more and more absent. I believe he owns an airline. And she has a younger brother, and I actually forget his name, but Peter has always been very distant from him, and Wendy feels responsible for her brother's happiness, and she just wants Peter around, and he's just never around. So... Wendy is very taken with James and his attention. He's a little older and a little wicked and mysterious and so they strike up a romance pretty quickly and the story goes on from there. All of these books by Emily McIntyre, she says reader discretion is advised and she actually has on her website a list of trigger warnings. Okay. So she says, you know, I prefer if you go in blind but there are some sensitive things in these books and if you like, I have them listed. So I think that's nice. Even if you know you like darker themes and dark romance, you might want to be prepared. And then the next book in the series is called Scarred, and it's a reimagining of The Lion King. This one was interesting because Hooked was contemporary, Mm -hmm. and Scarred is set in like a fictional British kingdom in the early 1900s. Okay. So it was a very different feel, and it's about a prince, Tristan Fassa, and his brother Michael. 
Michael, and their father passes away, and Michael is up to take the throne. Michael and Tristan have a very strange relationship because Michael has basically always been a bully, and when they were younger, Michael and what he called his pack would basically torture Tristan, and he actually has a scar on his face from his childhood where Michael was especially cruel. Tristan, you find out pretty early on, is the leader of a secret rebellion, and he's going to try and take over the kingdom. But as the political move, Michael is going to be taking on a wife, and her name is Lady Sarah, and when she arrives, there's a spark between her and Tristan, but you as the reader know that Sarah isn't just some silly lady that wants to be queen. She has a plan. She wants to eradicate the fossil line. Oh. So she is there to take revenge, and she's going to marry Michael so that she can kill him. Oh. Sarah and Tristan keep crossing paths and a forbidden romance blooms between them. I think this could have used a little more world building. I think the concept was really interesting, but it was kind of confusing. There were cars, yet they still used swords in battle. It just wasn't very clear. Mm-hmm. So, And if I have something set in a historical time period, even if it's a fictional time period, I like there to be a decent amount of world building. Mm-hmm. But it was still engaging, and I read it all in one afternoon. The next is called Wretched and is a reimagining of The Wizard of Oz. West House doesn't have the book, but Hoopla has the audiobook. I really liked it because the main character, Evelina, was the bad guy. So it was a girl villain mm-hmm. and then a good guy was the love interest and her family basically has this big drug empire and she is the brains behind it she's a botanist and she's basically growing poppies and making opium okay so i believe she's the youngest and then her oldest sister died a while ago and evelina thinks that the middle sister dorothy actually killed her so there's that piece of the story and then one night evelina is out doing an errand for her father pretty violent errand but she meets this man at a bar and they have this hot one night stand. When she met him, he introduced himself as Nicholas, but a couple weeks later, he joins the family's drug business under a different name. Hmm. And so she doesn't know if he lied when they met before during their one night stand or if he's lying now. She's very suspicious of him, but even though she's suspicious, she doesn't realize that he is in fact an undercover DEA agent. Ah, She knows he's a liar but she's just not sure what his motivations are. Mm -hmm. And he has a very good undercover background setup. So even when she has a friend of hers hack in and find out all he can about him, his cover is very solid. So she doesn't find out. But they also have an attraction they can't deny. Mm -hmm. Very angsty romance between the two of them. And then lastly is Twisted. That was the most recent to come out this year. And Twisted is a reimagining of Aladdin. And so Yasmin is a daughter of one of the richest men in the world. She's the heiress to something called the Sultan Diamond Company. And her father's ill and he's dying. And he loves Yasmin, but he has always kind of underestimated her. Before he dies, he wants her to get married so that she has 
someone to take care of her. And Yasmin is bright enough to take over the company, but he has never considered that for her. So his right-hand man, Julian Ferracci, is also hoping to take over the company, but Yasmin's dad, I think, is envisioning Yasmin's new husband to take on that role. So Julian, who is basically our Jafar, blackmails Yasmin into marrying him so that he can take control of the company, and he plans on discarding her. But once again, there is an undeniable attraction between the two, and things get very complicated. And there's also one coming out in August called Crossed, which is a reimagining of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And from what I gather, it is about the priest... Okay. Who's very evil and then Esmeralda. Interesting. So I think that's the pairing in that book. So I'm very excited about that. Which of the four that you've read already was your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Twisted was my favorite. I just really liked Julian. He was a very interesting character. In all of these, I just love the nods to like the original story. Mm-hmm. So like the Jolly Rogers or Julian has this giant, I don't know if it's a python as a pet that he feeds his victims to. (laughs) So another note about these books is the villains are all truly villains. Mm -hmm. They are all violent murderers. So So if you like bad boys, you like like bad boys, this series is for you. (laughs) And it's funny because the villains don't really have any redeeming qualities besides their love for this one person. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of like Heathcliff. Yes. If you enjoy that type of thing, then you'll enjoy these. Great. The one that you were talking about that is focused on a woman who manages a drug ring, that kind of (coughs) reminded me of The Queen of the South. Did you read that book or see the TV show? I think it's probably a very different sort of book. I mean, there are romantic elements, but it's not really a romance. It's kind of based on the narco corridas, where they have these songs that are about villains or Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. who are doing bad things. And it's about this woman who starts out, she is the girlfriend of a man who flies the planes that carry drugs. And early on in the story, he dies and she ends up going on the run. And eventually she becomes like this drug kingpin <laughs> or queenpin. I don't know what yeah. you call it. <laughs> but I enjoy that story a lot. I read it quite a while ago. But anyway, it just sort of reminds reminded me of that. It's interesting how all of these stories are reimaginings and I was talking about the mm. Jane Austen reimaginings. I think it's fun for readers to kind of recognize characters or elements and seeing how they're made new in a different story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's part of what kept me coming back to these and also just reading them so quickly. There were so many little nuggets in there that were interesting. In Hooked, for example, there's the ticking time piece that drives him crazy and the reason for that is very dark but it was such a clever way to tie that in I thought. Very cool. I'm going to talk about one more romantic comedy. It's a new book by Susanna Hoffs called This Bird Has Flown. If her name sounds familiar it's because she's the co-founder of The Bangles the 80s band that features four female musicians. You probably heard Manic Monday on the radio recently because they still play it in heavy rotation. Some of the other 
other songs that were really popular were Walk Like an Egyptian and Eternal Flame. And Susanna Hoffs was the lead singer on all of those. Her book follows Jane, a one-hit wonder in her 30s. And she has been in a string of bad relationships and she is particularly hurting from her most recent breakup. And her career is in a bit of a slump. She's not writing songs. She has kind of a writer's block. And so her agent and best friend invites her to London to kind of get away, get some creative juices flowing. Maybe a change of scenery will help. On the plane to London, Jane meets this Oxford professor named Tom Hardy. They really hit it off and they just start chatting. They exchange information. And so Jane is really smitten. And when she's in London, she's kind of half thinking about, is he going to call me? Is he going to contact me? And finally he does. He invites her to Oxford and they hit it off. But I don't want to say too much more to spoil things, but he hasn't told her everything. So there are some complications. And she's still, while she's in Oxford, trying to write songs and struggling. There's another storyline that involves Jonesy. He's this iconic male performer. And as I was reading it, I was kind of like, "Mm, he reminds me a little bit of Prince. But then Prince was mentioned. And then I thought, maybe he's a little bit like David Bowie, but David Bowie's mentioned. (laughs) So he's not really supposed to be a stand-in for anybody real, Mm -hmm. but he's kind of like those figures. He's successful enough that his odd requests are catered to. The relationship or history of Jane and Jonesy is that Jonesy had a song that Jane's big hit, she redid his song. She made it completely different and he really loved it. And so he's going to be doing this tour and he wants her to play her song. It's his song, but her her version of his song. But he and his people are not very nice to Jane. So they don't give her a lot of information up front and she has anxiety. So she's getting nervous about the whole thing. She has stage fright. Mm. That's another thing. But she has a beautiful voice. And so there are scenes like when I think it's like a karaoke or something like in a bar, she just sings and everybody's like, wow, you know, she's this great singer. And so she has a lot of talent, but she just is dealing with a lack of confidence. And I think part of it too is her follow-up album or all her own songs. She is a singer-songwriter, but it wasn't as successful. I think there were some critics that gave it good reviews, but it just wasn't successful, like the cover song that she did. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of that is she is thinking maybe she's not good enough or her songs aren't good enough. But I really liked the story. Tom is a good partner for her. And there are a lot of musical and literary references. I think it would be hard to read this book and not have some of the Bengal songs in your head and some of the other songs, like some of the chapter titles are song titles. So it's like this book will put a lot of songs in your head. It also has a sort of Notting Hill vibe, but from the point of view of the star instead of the Hugh Grant character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I liked that it was in Britain. It was nice to have that location. And I should also say that part of the reason too I was thinking of Prince with the Jonesy character is that Manic Monday was written by Prince um, mm-hmm. and that was one of their first big hits. But then unlike Jane, they had a lot of other hits. Um, Susanna Hoffs 
Ross did a really good job with her novel. You can tell that she is a reader and, like I said, with the literary references, and it's definitely worth checking out. Fun. Should we transition to thrillers? Mm -hmm. So another beach read I wanted to mention is actually a psychological thriller. It came out this year. It's called The Last Word by Taylor Adams. This is another book that I read in one night. So to keep with my theme of can't put it down, this book opens with a young woman named Emma who is house-sitting for a woman named Jules. And the house is in a somewhat isolated location on a a beach on the Washington coast. Emma prefers the solitude and is completely alone there other than her dog Laika and her only human contact is with an elderly neighbor named Deke who she occasionally communicates with on a whiteboard so they each have telescopes set up so they have never met in person but they write to each other on whiteboards and Deke has invited Emma to meet up in person for coffee but she has declined. So she passes her free time reading free ebooks and it is apparent that she's been through some kind of trauma recently and so she's here at this isolated beach house and reading ebooks offers her an escape from her reality. One day she reads a particularly awful ebook and decides to leave a review. <laughs> um, the book is called Murder Mountain and is told from the point of view of the murderer. So in the book he stalks and kills two women who are on a backpacking trip. Mm-hmm. And the women characters are noticeably lacking any kind of character development, and their murders are described in really disgusting detail. Emma thinks it is very poorly done and leaves a one-star review. So then she takes Lyka out for a walk and tries to forget about Murder Mountain, but when she returns home, she sees that the author has commented on the review she left. And it is a very weird comment. It's like falsely cheerful and passive-aggressive, and at the end of it, the author asks that Emma takes down her review. Okay. (laughs) Um, And she refuses, and the comments basically keep coming until the conversation ends on a kind of threatening note. Mm -hmm. And so Emma finds the whole interaction really weird and vaguely unsettling, but just assumes that this is just an odd person. (laughs) So that night, Emma wakes up in the middle of the night and sees the figure of a man standing in the corner of her room. And And she slowly reaches for her bedside lamp, but when she pulls the chain and jumps out of bed, she doesn't see anyone. But it felt so real that she gets up and checks the entire house, room to room, and she doesn't see anyone, but she's very unsettled. So the next afternoon, Emma is playing hangman with Deke via the telescope, and suddenly he writes on his whiteboard, who is that? And she kind of raises her hands in a what gesture, and he writes, man in your living room behind you. And so Emma doesn't turn around. She's convinced that Deke is trying to play a practical joke on her. They've been in communication for a few weeks and that's just kind of his personality. So she just writes nice try and then they move on with their game. But then that night, the motion sensor lights in the yard are activated by something. And usually Emma wouldn't pay it much attention, but Laika is acting nervous, like there's someone at the door. So Emma looks through the peephole, but can't see anything. She makes sure all the 
doors and windows are locked and goes to bed. And then that night, once again, she thinks she wakes up to see a man standing in her room. But it's very vague and she thinks maybe it was a dream. That's so creepy. So, <laughs> and it gets creepier. The next day, Emma gets a text message from the owner of the house, Jules. And it says, Emma, look what the doorbell camera saw last night. And she sends her a picture of a large figure wearing what must be a Halloween mask. It looks like the lips are like fused together and there are horns on the head. So last night, when Laika is growling at the door, there really was someone. And Emma recalls that in Murder Mountain, the killer would wear a Halloween mask whenever he thought he might be caught on camera. But she knows it can't possibly be the author because he has no way of knowing who or where she is. Except he's a hacker and he found her. (laughs) (laughs) But she's very unsettled and she decides to research this author more online. He goes by the pen name H.G. Kane and in her research she discovers that he has written 15 other horror novels, all very similar to Murder Mountain. There's Murder Lake, Murder Glacier, Murder Valley, Murder River, and it just goes on. (laughs) And so they're all told from the point of view of the killer. And then that night there is a knock at the door. And I'm going to leave it at that, but if you like psychological thrillers and if you like, for example, Harlan Coben and twisty plots, definitely read this. It was very entertaining and also pretty funny. Like even <laughs> the titles of the books, Okay. for example. Some twists I saw coming, some I didn't, some things I thought I knew, and it turns out it was something else. Even if you think you know what's going on, I'm guessing you don't know the whole story. Well, that sounds very intriguing. Does it leave you with an unsettled feeling? I would say it has a kind of happy ending. Okay. And like I mentioned, the twist is kind of funny because it gets to the point almost where it's like paragraph by paragraph, there's this new twist at the end. So it almost played out in my head like a movie. Uh huh. It was very well written, very atmospheric. The pacing was phenomenal. The relationship between Laika and Emma was very sweet. Uh, Laika's a main character for sure. <laughs> you know, this sounds like the perfect read for like a summer thunderstorm. Like, yes. Have that handy because it would be a perfect atmosphere to read that. I totally agree. I highly recommend it. It was very unique. I hadn't read anything like it before. And you're a fan of twisty stories. I am. And this one was very twisty and I was pleased. <laughs> good. Yeah. That sounds good. I might have to read that one dark and stormy night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the last book that I wanted to talk about, it's also a mystery, but it's a cozy. So mm-hmm. very different feel. It's Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto. I listened to this book on a recent trip. The narrator is very, very good. It's a multiple point of view story. So she does voices. I think there are like five different points of view in the story. If the author's name sounds familiar, she wrote Dial A for Aunties, which was a very popular book. Vera Wong is an auntie character. She lives in San Francisco's Chinatown, and she owns a tea shop, and her tea shop isn't doing very well. She has one loyal customer who comes, (laughs) and I don't know how she stays open, but she lives above her tea shop, and one day she comes down from 
her living quarters and finds a body in her tea shop. And she decides, I think for lack of anything better to do, that she's going to solve the murder. Mm -hmm. And she has watched a lot of CSI, so Mm -hmm. she thinks she knows how to go about solving the murder. She calls the police, of course, but interestingly... There is a clue this body is holding a thumb drive, Mm. and she takes it out of the hands. Then also, this is kind of crazy, but she decides to draw the outline. Instead of waiting for the police to do it with tape, she takes a Sharpie. (laughs) She knows all the way around. So that days later, when they come back, there's this Sharpie outline of the dead body. It's just kind of funny like that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I really liked about it is she's a tea connoisseur, so there are different scenes where she's making tea, and she's very particular about how she's going to put this tea together and how it will aid somebody. After she calls the police, she prepares tea for them, and she's very upset that they don't take her up on the tea. So she went to all this trouble to make this special tea for them. She also cooks delicious food. The day or the day after she finds the body, these people show up to her tea shop, new people, and she decides that these are her suspects because the murderer likes to return to the scene of the crime. (laughs) (laughs) If you're really looking for a mystery that's going to make you guess what's going to happen and everything, this is not that sort of mystery. This mystery is a character-driven mystery. Mm -hmm. It's really about the characters and their relationships and how Vera changes their lives for the better by meddling and getting involved in their lives. So there's a break-in at her tea shop, and so she ends up going to live with the widow of the man who was found in her tea shop and the widow's daughter. Then she invites the other suspects for (laughs) (laughs) dinner multiple times. And it's just so charming. I told my friend, and I listened to this book when I was traveling to visit her, I said, I just want to be an auntie like Mm -hmm. Vera because she's great. She's just so wonderful in how she gets involved in these people's lives. And she starts out the book kind of lonely, like she just has that one person that comes to her tea shop. She has an adult son who doesn't really visit her all that often. She has to kind of call him and pester him. But as she becomes more involved in these people's lives, he actually calls on her and he's like, is everything okay? I haven't heard from you for a while. (laughs) And it's just delightful. And I think it's a great kind of escape and very fun. Oh, and I wanted to say that we talked about The Maid by Nita Prose in a previous episode of the podcast. So check it out if you have haven't already. But if you did read The Maid, I think you'll really like Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers because it has the kind of same warm-hearted, charming feel to it. Yeah, Murder, She Wrote is one of my all-time favorite shows. So any cozy mystery with an older kind of busybody, I'm into. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for chatting and I enjoyed hearing your suggestions for beach reads. Thanks again, Desiree. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Desk. We hope you enjoyed our reading recommendations. You can find the book titles we discussed in the show notes. Tune in again next month when we talk about the moving bestseller, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. That's all for this episode. See you next time.